Do you run your own freelance business? Or maybe you're thinking about picking up some business on the side. Well, then you need FreshBooks. FreshBooks is the quickest and easiest way to get invoices out to your clients. It's easy to use. It works anywhere, available from any device, uh, on the desktop, iPhone, iPad, Android, and all of your data is backed up and secure. And it makes it really easy to get organized and get paid. You'll be tracking time, logging expenses, and invoicing your clients in no time. You can also save time billing, freeing up several days per month to focus on the work that you love, and you get paid faster. FreshBooks customers are paid on average five days faster because there's a link on the invoice that says pay me now. And it's a great way to grow your business. Plus, FreshBooks is offering a 30-day trial. That's right, 30-day trial if you try them out. So go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Once again, for a 30-day trial, go to gofreshbooks.com slash devchat and enter devchat in the how did you hear about us section. Hey, everyone, and welcome to The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Jeremy Green. Hi. And so here's the thing. We, as freelancers, as consultants, are supposed to be great experts. So our clients turn to us to ask for ideas and information and advice, and that's our whole business. The thing is, we are helping our clients sort of stay ahead of the curve or improve. How do we improve? How do we keep our skills sharp? How do we learn what the next new thing is so we can, as some people say, run in front of the crowd and claim to be their leaders? Um, so I thought it might be fun for us to talk about today how we improve, learn new things, get ahead, improve our game, basically, so that we can, um, no matter when and who we're talking to, demonstrate some leadership and knowledge uh, beyond what our clients can do on their own. That's the basic premise that I, that I thought we'd talk about. Cool. And I, I love this panel mix for this question because Ruben, you focus on training. Jeremy, you're focusing on like SaaS and development stuff. And I focus on advisory consulting. And I think, I think the, I'll, I'm going to predict that the things that we do or need to do to, you know, air quotes, stay ahead or keep our skills sharp are probably not that similar, or maybe I'm wrong, but I, I have a feeling they're not that similar. So this, I'm super looking forward to this. So who wants, All right, who so wants to start? Yeah, I'll start. I'll start. So, since I raised the, the, the topic, I should start. Um, so I, so here's the thing. Like I do a mix of different things to stay ahead. One of them, um, so, so first of all, one, I try to stay ahead in, let's start like by defining the terms a little bit. And so I'm teaching Python and I'm, and also increasingly data science and machine learning. So, um, with Python, I actually feel like right now I've got a pretty good sense of what's going on. Like most questions my students ask me, I can answer. And when they don't, I see there's an opportunity. Like I say to them very clearly, Oh, you asked me a great question. I don't know the answer. That's my homework. I'm going to go learn it. And then I learn something new. And often I'll then incorporate it into my next class because wow, they gave me a great question. Why not use it? Um, so on, on the Python front, that's basically how I move ahead. Although I try to read blogs and read newsletters, there are a few like Python weekly newsletters that I skim through at least to see what's the latest and greatest that's going on. How quickly does on Python? Machine learning... Yeah, quick question. Sorry, quick question. How volatile is Python? Is it pretty stable at this point, or is it is it changing all the time? 
that's the thing. It's pretty darn stable. So there are aspects of the language that are improving. There are utilities that come out that people start to use that weren't around a year or two ago. There are changes to how the language, like, like especially the newest versions. So there's this data structure, a dictionary, sort of like a hash table. I mean, it's basically a hash table. And they changed the way it was implemented in the version of Python that came out about a year ago. So I saw a talk about it. I was like, wow, that's really interesting. And now I include a description of that in all the classes that I give. But like, just as the language is sort of changing incrementally, my courses can also change incrementally because, and I can learn things incrementally because that, that's good enough. That's good enough for most of what I need to do. And no one's really going to call me on it or get upset about it. Cool. Yeah, it totally answers my question. Um, the thing is, the data science stuff, there, I need to work much harder because it's a relatively new field for me. It is changing wildly fast. Um, no one can keep track of all the things that are going on data science. It's like totally crazy. Um, and so it took me probably a good three to four years to put together my intro data science course. Now I feel like that's really solid and good. And now I'm, I'm starting like, like very, very tippy toes in starting to put together an advanced one. And so I have been every time I see a blog post, every time I see a newsletter link, every time I see a book that might be interesting, I just start collecting them. And I have some free days that I'm just going to spend those free days trying to read through things and try things and move ahead on things. And even so, I know that when I start teaching this course, I'm going to be inundated with questions that I can't answer. And the same sort of thing is going to happen once again that happened with this one. So it's always this sort of push-pull. Like, I try to push myself to learn new stuff. Yeah. Um, and I try to predict what I need to learn. But I also depend on my students to raise questions. And sometimes I'm more truthful than others about, oh, yeah, I know that. Or, oh, I have no idea. <laughs> um, but re regardless of my truthfulness, um, I definitely try to use their questions as also a, like a, a real-world sounding board. Like, they know what they're trying to do day to day. And um, so their questions will reflect the actual practice and not my theoretical musings or readings. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the funny thing is when I started training, the, the training company I was working with said, well, it's very important to us that you're also an active developer because only then are you really going to encounter the problems that developers encounter. And then only then are you going to be able to address questions and problems that people have. And I found that not to be the case. Although it might be that it just takes a little more work on my part. And I'm constantly reading. I'm constantly looking through stuff. Also, not only looking for technical ideas, but good stories. Stories that will allow me to connect the ideas I'm trying to teach to the subject. Right. Um, so, so there's the analogies. And, yeah, yeah. So since you're, since you've got a training focus, there's sort of two or three levels to it. One is like an understanding of the nuts and bolts of the thing you're teaching. Then there's the how to apply the nuts and bolts of the thing you're teaching to somebody's actual situation. And then there's how to communicate the topic to people in a way that uh, helps them remember it or retain it or understand it in the first place, right? That's right. That's right. And so I'm even reading also some like training books and education stuff because every so often it'll give me an idea of, oh, I should really be doing this and that to improve my explanations and so forth. Yeah. You should, the, the, the comment about, oh, it's really important to us that our, um, trainers are also developers. You, you should have said back to them, oh, well, those who can't teach do. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I don't believe that though. <laughs> um, 
look, I think teaching is like two skills. It's so two like skills. Said, yeah, yeah. Okay. it's it's the skill of knowing the subject and the skill of knowing how to get the subject across. And so I'm always trying to sort of improve on both. Although I think I've got the teaching mostly down. So now it's just sort of trying to improve my subject knowledge and then like how to carve it into something that I can share with people. Um, but it's like, it's a rare week when I haven't read a few articles that make me, you know, make me go, Hmm. And, Oh, I really could improve on this. Or I really should try that technique or I really should change around how my classes work. Um, I'm just always trying to sort of get it a little better. Mm. I like that you've got like this one sort of big body of work that you're sitting on with the Python stuff, but then you're kind of, kind of a noob with the data science and how different the two things are and how different the struggle, you know, the, the level and type of struggle between the two things I think is maps to my experience very much. So it seems like mm -hmm. I would say that that's pretty common. Yeah, like that's what you should expect if you were going into training. That's like, especially in something that's new and changing all the time. Uh, I mean, I've got, I've got experience, personal experience and experience from students where they're sort of operating in this really fun, crazy space. Like, I don't know, something like whatever react or Bitcoin or sorry, block <laughs> blockchain or, or AI. And everything is changing so fast that you almost, you almost can't make a video course because it's out of date in like three days. You almost can't write a book because it's out of date in three days. It's like <laughs> you can almost only teach it live for a while until it kind of settles down and gets to that kind of stable place you're at with Python. And then you can kind of leverage that expertise with, you know, selling courses. Right. Cool. Right. So how about you, Jonathan? What do you do to learn things or learn new things? Yeah, this is a good question because I've, I've kind of straddled two different businesses. So like with the mobile consulting and technical businesses, uh, in the past when I was doing a lot more development, it was exactly like you said, but I wasn't turning around. It usually wasn't doing training. I did some workshops and some training, but mostly I was advising people, you know, doing some coding and advising people about how to do the coding. So even if I was building a website or a mobile website, I, I was going to tell them how to do it. I was going to do it my way. That's why they hired me. So it was kind of like a combination of strategy and execution where I would say, they would say, hey, we've got this website. It stinks on mobile. Can you fix that? And I'd say, sure, <laughs> here's how we're going to do it. Let me ask you a bunch of questions about your business and, you know, your risk tolerance and how much budget you have. And, you know, here, okay, thanks. Here's the three ways that we can approach this. Which one seems best suited for you and they'd say okay the second one i'd say all right now i'm going to go do it I'll, and i'll i'll keep you updated on the progress uh, maybe i need to talk to your people but mostly i'm just going to code and we'll have weekly reviews and blah 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 and so the way that i would keep up to date when i was in that phase was had a lot to do with experimentation and making proof of concept type of things so you know whatever something like uh app cache would become broadly available across all the browsers so i would experiment with it i would do a side project with it side projects basically was a big thing for me back then because i would want to i wouldn't want to kind of walk that tightrope without a net on the client's dime i wanted to be able to go into a meeting and <clears throat> at the strategic end of the spectrum when we're deciding how to build the new thing and say, okay, here are the consideration. I've tested this thing in my own project. 
I took the risk. I, I fell on the floor. Then I fixed it. I found out where all the sharp edges were basically. So if you guys want to do this cutting edge thing, here are the, the risks and opportunities. Which one, you know, how, how risky do you want to go? You know, how, how maintainable do you want it to be? How long do you think this is going to live? Is this just a prototype to go get funding? Or is this something you're building the next 10 years of your business on? So stuff like that. And uh, so to keep ahead of them, I would do side projects, code them up, uh, you know, local store, all the, all the new browser features, basically. I would test them out, see how they worked, see how hard they were to deal with. And then kind of as a, as a really as just an offshoot of that stuff, I would sometimes blog or teach a course or do a workshop or in some, in one, in a couple of cases, I would write a book uh, about everything that I just learned. So it'd be stuff that I just learned, really cutting edge stuff. And, and I would be only a couple of steps ahead of the vast majority of the crowd, but there were very few people who had, had done that and were talking about it publicly. So in at least two or three cases, I was like, oh, I'm currently one of the experts at this because it's brand new and I'm the only one that's talking about it online. So, you know, you don't, I don't think sort of a meta topic here. I don't think you need to be, you know, have a PhD on your wall to be an air quotes expert at something is if you're the person who knows more about it than most people, or if you know more about it than the audience that you're trying to, uh, I don't want to say sell to exactly, um, but basically if, the, if, if you know more about it than an audience who's paying attention to you, then you're the expert or you're expert right. enough. Expert enough. I like that. You're expert Even enough. Even if you don't feel like you are. <laughs> right. You have a tendency, there's a tendency for imposter syndrome in this phase. But if you know more about it than other people, they consider you, you and you're the only one they know who knows it then as far as they're concerned, you're an expert. So because I'm a big fan, I'm, I'm a proponent of the notion that expertise is relative. There's not like this absolute like, okay, one day now I'm an expert. I, I got this sort of certificate. Now I'm an expert. It's not like that. You, it's relative. So like you could take somebody who, you know, I, I was never the smartest person in the whole world about responsive web design, but I was way better at it than any of my clients. So it was good enough. Like you're expert enough. So, but you did have to keep ahead of them. And um, when it got, okay, so that was like sort of, that was a when my business was very much oriented around development, like some consulting, but it was mostly development. Then when I started doing strategy retainers, like advisory retainers all the time, uh, it was interesting because I had to keep up with different things. Like I did have to still, I still had to keep up with technology, but it was less important for me to do actually code side projects. It was much more important for me to worry about things like picking, you know, like, like a client would say, okay, should we do this with uh, HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, or should we bite the bullet and build it with native iOS and Android? And I needed to keep up to date with the capabilities, it's the bigger picture things like uh, broadly based user user uh, browser support for certain features. I didn't need to know how to code them. I just needed to know where they, I needed to be able to know off the top of my head what browsers didn't have offline support, for example, or what, what browsers didn't support local storage. 
And we could be in a meeting, we could sort of get like make high level decisions about what direction the project, the, the forthcoming project was going to take. And then the people who are going to build it could worry about the implementation details. But I needed to know what was feasible and what wasn't. It was much more about feasibility than it was about the, the nuts and bolts. You know, is it feasible to build this thing that you want to build to move your business forward in this particular way using a browser? If not, as, as the platform, if not, you know, if you need something that just can't be done really reasonably well with a browser, then, you know, you're going to have to go native, which is going to be a different kind of investment, different kind of project. So it, I still needed to keep, I had to keep up to date with news. So what would I actually do? I would, I would, I would subscribe, subscribe to a million tech news feeds. So I would, every single day I would listen to like the, the daily Twitch shows, daily tech news show. I would security. Now I would listen to just tons of podcasts. Uh, I was on the, I had Feedly was my RSS reader at the time. I'd read all, like I would skim all the headlines from the verge and everybody else and, and just be like, okay, what, what's happening in the web space? What do I need to know about? What do I need to be conversant about? Um, because clients would be like, should we worry about this? Here's, Hey, there's all this news around HTML, this new thing, HTML five, HTML five apps. Should, <laughs> should we worry about this? What does that mean? And I need to be able to explain, I need to, to be confident that I understood what it meant and what they meant by asking the question and what the conversation was online and then be able to advise them one way or the other about, you know, I would say things all the time, like, I, hey, you don't have to worry about it, you know, or you do need to worry about it or, well, do you care about, do you, are you guys more interested in broad-based access or are you more interested in creating like the most premium experience you possibly can, but for, only for a small set of people? And they would answer a question like that. And I would say, okay, you need to go this way or that way. So that was very much about keeping up with news feeds, really, to be honest, uh, at that mm -hmm. strategic stage. So like something when, when Facebook messed around with the React license, that would have been, if I was still doing a lot of strategic work, that would have been huge. You could almost, if they kept with that, you could have almost built like a product around just dealing with that license. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so, that was a mess. Yeah, that was a mess. So that was, so stuff like that. Uh, and then now, okay, so now I'm the sort of like third version of my business now that, that I'm really focused on sort of coaching and hourly billing is nuts and all that stuff my, the way that I keep up to date is very different because it's all about kind of like Ruben with you being able to communicate the ideas. It's like, I've got the ideas. I've got a set of ideas that are, that are, aren't refutable really. Like you can, you kind of either agree with them or you don't agree with them. That's not the hard part. The hard part is coming up with ways to communicate those ideas in a way that is going to inspire action in the listener. So it's very much yeah. like a training thing. Uh, the, I think the change that I'm asking people to make, though, is is at the identity level, and it's very scary. So all of the so me staying ahead of my air quotes staying ahead of my audience isn't really about staying ahead of them at all. We all kind of if they're in the audience, they kind of agree about the concepts, but they're like, yeah, but how do I get myself to do it? Or yes, but what steps do I take? And and how do I get the courage to take those steps? So it's much more, it's way, it's much, it's, it's a set of soft skills that is extremely different from software. And so keeping ahead of that, honestly, that amount, that is, 
that is one of the big values of, of having a daily mailing list because I'm in conversations, 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 constantly having conversations with the people who I'm trying to help. And they ask me questions that, that we can then have a, you know, conversation about. And then when something clicks for them, I can be like, okay, here's another way to make this idea click. Here's 10 ways, you know, and over time I end up with like 10 or 15 ways to make a particular idea click with different kinds of people. So yeah, talk about three different types of things. I feel like, I feel yeah. like um, they're just really very different, all of them. Yeah, so I, I, I would it kind of sounds, oh, sorry, go ahead, Ruben. I don't know, like, like we, we often talk about specialization and finding a niche. And I think what we're seeing then is just, just from like the two of us so far, during what we're talking a moment, is like, if you are not in a particular niche, then you're having to spend time learning about lots of things. <laughs> And that's overwhelming and really hard. And so by staying focused on one thing, even just trying to keep up on one subject is really hard. Um, mm -hmm. But it's doable at least. So so that's a nice advantage of staying within one little one little area. Right. And it, it could go in two different two different angles. So if, if you want wanted to be conversant in the nuts and bolts of all programming languages, if you wanted to be like, if you wanted to be a generalist of, or like the, the classic example is a full stack developer where they know they're basically a jack of all trades for websites. Like they, they know JavaScript, they know CSS, they know HTML, they know cores, they know headers, they know Apache, they know node, they know express, they know, blah, 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 Git. they know GitHub, they know, but it goes on forever and ever rails, blah, blah, you know, it's like react, like where, where would I stop? It would take all day to list all those things. But if you don't specialize in one of them, your, your knowledge of, of any one of them is just gonna be super superficial. And, you know, people talk about being T-shaped uh, on, on, as a, a web person who kind of knows a little bit about the full stack, but goes super deep on node or goes super deep on CSS. And that, I think that's a, that's a valuable employee to have. Certainly. Uh, I don't know if that makes for a good consultant. And then there's, so that's sort of a, like, that's sort of how I would think of a horizontal specialization, like pick something like react native, because you, you could go all day long and never, you know, you could, you, there's a lot to learn, even in something that specific of a horizontal. And then there's another way to approach it when, like I was describing when I was sort of at a strategic uh, strategic level where the point was for me to skim across the surface of, of lots of things and be smart enough be smarter about lots of things that my clients cared about than they were. So they, so that it was increasing the odds that they were making the right decisions. There's no way for me to go super deep on any of them, but the decisions we were making, it didn't really matter. As long as I knew this is a, a thing I used to say all the time. If we do this, I positive, I could guarantee we are not painting ourselves into a corner. Painting ourselves into a corner was the thing that scared everybody. Painting the client painting themselves into a corner. So you can have this kind mm -hmm. of like you can skim across the surface of stuff and not go super deep on it as long as what you're selling is that. But if you're selling like I'm going to build you a website, you know, and I learned all of these, I know a little bit about all these technologies to do it. It's just not going to be that valuable. You'd need that general, that general full stack, if you want to call it that, that full stack web knowledge 
is much more valuable at the very high levels of the organization. And, you know, any, any developer that they employ might know more about any one thing than you do. As long as you know that's what is feasible and what's not feasible and the associated costs relatively, then uh, it, you, in, it, you're engaging with the client at the right level, a very high level, then that's still fine. You can kind of be a generalist at the high level, in other words, is what I'm saying. Cool. Would Jeremy, yeah, Jeremy, what's, what's your take on it? Uh, yeah. So I think my current situation is very similar to kind of what you said about when you were in your development phase, Jonathan, um, like side projects are big for me, uh, both, you know, kind of little throwaway proof of concept things to just test out, uh, some new thing. Uh, but also I, it helps me a lot that I have kind of real side projects, you know, that are in production that have people using them, uh, either as paying customers or just a thing that I've got out there that I'm letting people use. Um, because the, just like having it in production and having to make those changes about, or those decisions about, okay, if I introduce this new thing, you know, what does that do to the production stack and what's that going to mean for availability and how risky is this change? Uh, and kind of makes you, or, you know, makes me confront those things a little bit more seriously than I would have to, if it was just a, a throwaway project. Um, and that helps a lot with being able to go to a client and say, you know, here's, here's what I've done previously in a live project and here's how the migration to this new thing worked or, you know, here are problems that I saw or I uncovered reasons that you might not want to do this for, you know, workloads that look like X or Y. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think having real actual real projects to work on and try new stuff, uh, really helps me a lot, uh, both to learn it and to have confidence that, uh, I've kind of learned it the right way maybe, and like have learned the, the right lessons, um, instead of just kind of getting a superficial intro, you know, with a hello world type application. Because, <laughs> yeah. uh, because, right. you know, you really do miss a lot when you are just at that hello world stage, you know, you, you don't have a good, good production experience, you know, and, and you are glossing over a lot of the kind of important details and, you know, programming is really all about paying attention to all of those <laughs> seemingly unimportant details. <laughs> yeah. It blows my mind when you something like, Oh, we're going to, you know, we're going to, here's an idea for a new feature, you know, and the design team will come and say, Hey, there's this, here's this SAS we're all working on. Here's an idea for a new feature. And then the dev team is immediately like, well, that's going to change the data model, you know? And okay. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means that we're going to have like, <laughs> legacy users who existed mm -hmm. before this feature was live so we either need to backfill their data or we need to continue to let them use the old templates mm -hmm. and 
and any new stuff will just be on the new data models. We'll have two different parallel things going on. And what effect does that have on customer service and the documentation for the application? And yeah, like, so if you're, you're kind of like, um, that's, I imagine that your, any clients that you have that are like, uh, you know, custom projects, custom dev projects must love that, that you have, you understand the complexities of migrating, of releasing new features that are going to, you know, essentially break backwards compatibility or, Mm -hmm. you know, scale up in a way that's different or migrate from one backend to another. That's a huge one. Like that's a very dirty, dirty thing to do, (laughs) you know, and it's like having experience doing, that's almost like process experience. That's more, more than knowing a particular technology. When you start a new project, typically you need things like a domain name, hosting, things like that. When I choose hosting, I pick mine for the options it gives. I like to know what I'm getting and set things up just how I like them. This is why for your projects, you should check out Linode. Linode servers feature native SSD storage, a 40 gigabyte network, and Intel E5 processors. That's all the power you need to run VMs under full control or Docker containers, who doesn't love that, encrypted disks and VPNs. Plus, they have 10 data centers across the world and add-ons like Backups, Node Balancer, and Longview to help you control your server costs. They also offer block storage for your static files, and you can get started with a $20 credit if you use the code FREELANCERSHOW2018. That credit is good for four months on their one gigabyte server. That's a lot of time to try them out and see if they're the right fit for you. That code, again, is FREELANCERSHOW2018. Also, if you're interested in working for Linode, they're hiring. Head to linode.com slash careers to see their available positions. Yeah. And to kind of circle back to something that you mentioned earlier about, you know, just doing things and talking about them, uh, you know, that's been really pretty effective for me. I've had more than one client that has basically looked me up after, you know, seeing a talk that I gave at RailsConf. And, you know, one of them said pretty much verbatim, like, we know you're the guy for this job. I saw your talk. I know you can do what we need to have done. We just have to come to a business agreement to, you know, that makes everybody happy. Uh, and so that's a, kind of a, a nice way of circumventing the technical interview, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. just doing stuff and talking about it so that people see it and have some trust that you know what you're doing. Hmm. Um, Jeremy, I'm, I'm curious, like how often do you work on a project and you discover that, like, you know, 80%, 90% of what you need to know. But like, I mean, at least in my experience, when I was doing more development projects, there was always stuff I had no idea about. There's always stuff that was new that for me was sort of part of the fun. Mm-hmm. So like, 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 where, where do you go? Cause you can't, first of all, you, you probably either can't or don't want to go to the client and say, Hey, I'm not sure about this stuff. Um, but also like you're the expert and you probably know more than they do. Yeah, um, I've found that lately I am a lot more comfortable than I used to be in telling the client, I don't really know that, but I'm going to figure it out. Uh, and usually the way that I approach that is, especially if it's you know in the context of something that we're already trying to accomplish for them, uh, usually I just start a feature branch and kind of start messing with stuff and try to uh, basically construct scenarios where I suspect that things might fall down or 
scenarios that will, you know, kind of expose the the root thing that we're trying to get at that is the the question, you know, how is this going to work or what's it going to do? Um, and then just try to be able to, you know, have it, things documented well enough or even coded up, you know, if I can, if I can write test cases that are going to show what it is that we're trying to learn about, uh, that's often very helpful because then you can point somebody at running code and, you know, if, if you need to ask them to step into a debugger and they can see what's, you know, exactly what's happening and why things are progressing the, the way that they are. Um, but yeah, uh, really just try to try to uncover the thing. Um, also, uh, uh, you guys gave, gave me some ideas slash reminders for how I, I also keep up on things. So, uh, one of the best ways, I mean, it's, it's like an old saying, one of the best ways to learn things is to teach them. And so for years I've been using my Linux journal column as a way to learn new things and like forced me to learn them well enough to be able to articulate it and describe it to other people. So I would say a good like third to a half of the columns that I've written are in things that I'm always curious about, but I want to understand in greater detail. And so I would explore it and learn it and, you know, maybe do a little side project that you described and then write about it. And by the end of the article, well, first of all, I felt like I had a much better understanding of it. And second of all, if I ever forgot it, I could go back and read my own article, which I definitely <laughs> did on a few occasions. Like, oh, that's how that works. That, that, was, that was described well. Yeah, I like that. Um, and, and I've done this similar things to a lesser degree, but with my weekly newsletter where I write about things that are interesting to me and that I want to go into more depth about and understand and explore. And so by forcing myself to write about it, I think, Jonathan, you mentioned like blogging about things. Mm -hmm. um, in the same way, like I, I find that when I write, um, it gives me a better handle and forces me to really understand how things work. Um, similarly, if I'm not sure even like where to start, especially with some classes, um, if there are topics I'm not sure, especially with the data science stuff, I wasn't even sure what people wouldn't know or they would want to know. I find that Stack Overflow is a fantastic resource for that. Um, I mean, my Stack Overflow score is like laughably small. I think it's like five, <laughs> not 5,000, but five, because I think I answered a few things, then got turned off. Um, but if you go there, if there's a subject you want to sort of know how to teach or know about in greater detail, if you go there and look at the questions that people are asking on a certain topic that are tagged that way, you'll very quickly get a sense of, oh, these are the problems people are having. Um, and then you can get through some answers and say, okay, now I have a better mental model of how that works. Now I can explain it better either to myself for doing this project or to my clients who want to know how it works. Uh, and I've definitely done that trick both with teaching and just sort of generally going into clients and talking about the projects they're doing. Yeah, I've, I've used Stack Overflow as a means to, like answering questions on Stack Overflow as a means to teach myself a new thing before, uh, like a few years ago, I was getting into Ember, a JavaScript framework. And, um, I, for a while would spend an hour or two every day, just looking at Ember questions, trying to find ones that I almost knew the answer to, but didn't fully <laughs> know the answer to, but ones that I felt like I knew how to find the answer and would then go spend some time with the documentation or reading the code uh, and get at an answer and then answer that question and then go on and do that. And I did that, I don't know, an hour or two every day for 
a few months. Uh, and that really, I felt, really increased my knowledge of the Ember framework, uh, gave me a lot more confidence in knowing how to find the answers to those kinds of questions, uh, gave me a lot of familiarity with the code base itself, with the documentation uh, ecosystem around it, um, and really, really helped a lot. And then similarly, I've, I've proposed talks to conferences before about subjects that I didn't really know all that much about, but that I wanted to learn about and figured, hey, if this talk gets picked up, then I'm going to be forced to learn it and have to learn it well enough to teach it. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of the teach the thing that you want to learn method. Yeah, I'm seeing a little bit of a theme here across all of these, all of the all of the different kinds of work that we're doing, which is answering questions, finding questions and answering them, whether they're questions that we have or questions that the some audience might have, whether it's Stack Overflow, Stack Overflow or Quora or people in an audience at a talk that you're giving or a workshop or a training class and somebody stumps you like if getting these questions and being able to handle them in real time or close to it is that i mean if if i if we were going to have one takeaway from this episode answer questions like find and answer questions and man like it kind of automatic right like that's the the common theme. I think everything we're talking about. Yeah, yeah the more questions so. you answer, the better you get at like you'll you'll see patterns and you'll say, Oh, that's how all this fits together. And that just becomes super easy and natural to answer these questions. And along the way you'll stumble a little bit, but that's okay. Um pe people don't notice as much as you think. Yeah. And I, I used to tell the story a lot when I was um teaching more technical I, I used to it's kind of famous for live coding at events. Like I know a lot of developers are very scared to live code at a a big conference session, but I used to love it. And uh, I would optimize my setup to, you know, give me kind of a, <clears throat> kind of like a, not a safety net, but like I knew the odds were relatively high that something was going to go wrong. And I just had, I had little techniques that I would use, like when things ultimately eventually did go wrong that either made it funny or made it a learning, a teaching moment, a teaching opportunity. Say so like, oh, that, that wasn't expecting that. And let's, <laughs> so this is an opportunity to, for me to show you how I debug stuff. Like, I, you know, debugging might not be an actual thing that I was going to teach, but I knew that probably at some point something weird was going to happen. And that uh, with, with one exception in all of the probably hundreds of talks I've given, it never blew up in my face. One time I got destroyed, but that was it. And the rest of the time it was fine. <laughs> one time, my, one time something could not work no matter what I did. I couldn't figure out what it was. It turned out my disc had filled up while I was on stage. Oh my God. Yeah. And I just couldn't figure it out. So, so what it was actually, it was fine. Someone from the front row of the audience ran up and gave me their MacBook, and I just continued on their computer. <laughs> so that was cool. But anyway, the, nice. uh, the, the ability to to get these, to get questions. Yeah. I, it's the total theme across all of these because Ruben, when you were telling your story about Linux journal, you reminded me of when I used to write a monthly column for FileMaker advisor, when I used to do FileMaker stuff and people would email me with questions. How do I do this with a portal row or, you know, in, and it'd be tips and tricks. And, it, but, but I knew it was of interest to at least one person, which was a safe bet that was interest to more than one person. And I would be like, beats me. 
but I know how to figure it out <laughs> and I would do it. And exactly like you said, like, these are things that I would refer back to later. I would go back to my own articles and be like, all right, when I wrote that article, I thought pretty, pretty deeply, but for a very short time about this specific thing that comes up with some regularity, but not, not so much regularity that I would remember it verbatim, but I would remember that I wrote about it and I would go back and be like, all right, what did I write an advisor about how to, I don't know, create an editable portal row with FileMaker, with the FileMaker API for PHP. And they're like, all right, let me go back and like, oh yeah, 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 that was, very, that was wicked smart. <laughs> That's totally how I would do it. <laughs> because I, you know, I, I like, it's almost like, um, it's almost like a, a temporary or an ephemeral expertise. And if you pile up enough of those, and you've got this kind of like, it's almost like a body of work or like a library, a code library where you're like, I know I did this right three months ago. I can't remember off the top of my head how to do it right. But I remember that I did believe that was the best way. And let me just dig that up. Yeah. Across something that I'm like, uh, I know I answered this on Stack Overflow. Let me go find that thing. Uh, <laughs> and then, And then the occasional... I'm searching for the question and kind of discover that I had answered it on Stack Overflow. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, look, uh, past me was smarter about this than current me. <laughs> yeah, raise your hand if you've ever found yourself in the Google results for the thing you're searching for. Like, yeah, whoa, it's totally it's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, I'm the top hit for this. Oh, that's so funny. But it's it, you know when that does happen, it's kind of a nice reminder of oh yeah you don't really have to keep all of this stuff in your head at all times. You just have to know how to find it when you need it. Right. And, and, and I would say that the act of constantly learning and searching for things makes you good at finding the answers too. And I'm always amazed when I go to clients offices and they ask me a question, I'm thinking to myself, well, I don't know the answer, but I'll search for it. And I'll search for it in front of them. And they'll say, Whoa, you found that so fast. Thinking that's it's kind of funny, but knowing how to phrase a question on a subject is part of the knowledge you need to be fluent in it. And so, if you can, if you, you know, if you know the subject well, then you'll be able to find more answers on that subject, even if you don't know them off the top of your head. Yep, I I often joke with people that at least half of my job is crafting the right Google query. Um, <laughs> I do want to. I do want to devil's advocate a little bit there because I think we've all experienced the sort of the sort of you know what's that the joke O'Reilly title cut and paste from stack overflow it's like <laughs> it's like there's a I think that's fine in many cases I think it is fine um it's for for listeners of this show if you're trying to move up market with your skills and differentiate yourself from the masses on Upwork who are cutting and pasting from Stack Overflow, then you need to, I, I think it's, I don't think there's any way around it. You need to increase your expertise on the stuff that, uh, how, do you, how do I say this? You certainly need to increase the perception of your authority, like the perception of your value, the perception of expertise. You need to become the go-to person for someone for something so that, you know, like Jeremy said, you know, getting, getting uh, an email from a client who's like, we saw your talk at RailsConf and we know you're the guy. Let's just figure out if we can afford you and if you have time, basically. And 
like you, that's where you need to get. And you're not going to do that from knowing how to, you're not going to do it from just from knowing how to Google. Yeah, you, that's true. Yeah. So I, I just wanted to like, yes, that is a very powerful skill. And yes, that will make you more of an expert than, you know, the, the guy who runs the pizza place that you're building the website for. But if you want to, if you want to keep in, you know, but that's just the beginning, that's a beginning point. And it's like, you want to build yourself up. You want to build your reputation, your, your percep, the perception of expertise that you project to the marketplace. That's super, it's critical, but you also want to feel not like an unassailable expert know-it-all, but you want to feel a confidence that you actually are different than everybody else who's cutting and pasting from Stack Overflow. And you, you actually are, you, you, I don't want to go too Tony Robbins here, but like you stand for something and you have a particular point of view and there's a kind of client that you do want to work with and a, a client you don't want to work with. And sort of, this is just a process of maturation that would, I would like to believe happens naturally. I know it doesn't always happen though, because people will sometimes just stagnate at a particular level kind of dig their heels in, but you should over time be feeling yourself um, progressing in your, um, what I want to say is you want to feel yourself progressing in your expertise, but that's pretty vague. What I'm trying to say is you, you want to be increasing your confidence and the perception of your authority like over time in order to grow your the value that you're delivering to people and you aren't just stagnating with like a particular way that you want to sell your services uh, this is this is falling apart as i'm trying to say it so but. No, let, 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 let me let me take what you, you started with and yeah. let me put it into nerdy educational terms okay cool <laughs> so um so when we think about like when we think about has someone learned Right. What we think about and what education researchers have thought about for years is, well, we give them a pretest, right? What do they know now? And then we teach them something. And then we see, okay, you know, we'll give them a post test and we look at the difference between them and we see how they learn. And that's definitely the standard way that people do these sorts of things. But there's a school of thought in the education world that talks about what's called social learning theory. And social learning theory basically says, we're not going to measure how much you know through tests and knowledge. We're going to measure what you know through your relationships and through who is asking you questions. And they talk about it as being starting off on the periphery and moving toward the center. And so I, I think one way to sort of rejigger what you were saying now, Jonathan, is like over time you should find yourself answering questions from more and more sophisticated members of the community or more and more uh, upscale clients or people at higher levels within the companies who are your clients. Right. If you're con if you're still answering questions all the time years later from, you know, the same low level developers, that's not where you want to be. But if every year you're answering more and more questions from CEOs and CTOs and they're turning to you because you have expertise, well, that demonstrates you're learning and you're moving up in value and they know it. That just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah, the idea that I am deeply in love with that theory and I might marry it. That that is so great. So like the distinction there, so just to call it, just to say back to you what blew my mind about that. Because as you were describing the like, okay, we'll test them now and then we'll test them after. And did they learn anything? That leaves me so cold. That is, 
I'm not going to say it's useless, but I feel like it's measuring the wrong thing. And that this social learning theory, which I've never, this is the first time I've heard of this, of moving to the center is exactly what I'm trying to say. It's exactly it. Oh, I'm getting chills. This is so good. I'm I'm, I'm totally, I'm going to be reading like this. I'll call it some names now. I'll call some names now and I'll put it in the uh, in the um, the show notes as well for you mm. and for listeners. But uh, Jean Lave mm. is the um, is like the professor who deals with this a lot. And her, I think it was her graduate student. I'm going to butcher his name, Etienne Wenger. Um, so they wrote a ton of stuff on this. And Wenger then went so far. He was like, okay, social learning theory was great. And he talked about what are called communities of practice, like within a yes. company, within an organization, setting up people across hierarchies. Where it doesn't matter what your official title is, what are you interested in learning and doing and improving on? Mm. And so you have companies where you can consult, of course, where they do this together. And the point is just like everyone should just keep learning and keep learning from each other and, you know, becoming more and more central in the organization. Mm, yeah, I'm familiar with the communities of practice concept. I didn't I've never heard of the social learning theory, though. That's so great. Sweet. <laughs> Worth the price of admission just right there. <laughs> cool, cool. Um, I don't know. We, I, I, any, anything, any other comments you guys want to get to before we get to picks? No, I think the answering questions thing is like that is a safe, safe piece of easily applicable, uh, actionable advice. Go answer questions. That's how yep. you stay ahead. Yep, I agree. Agreed. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, what you got for us in terms of picks this week? For you, the listeners of Freelancer Show, Loot Crate is offering an opportunity to save 10% on any new subscription at LootCrate.com. Just enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Loot Crate is one of my favorite things. Every month I get a box in the mail, costs less than $20, and it comes with all kinds of goodies. I have stuff from just looking at my shelf, Batman, Spider-Man, Ninja Turtles, Back to the Future, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, and much, much more. So if you're a geek, a gamer, anything like that, and you want cool stuff to put around your office, cool t-shirts, comic books, etc., then definitely check out Loot Crate. To save 10% on your new subscription, go to lootcrate.com slash ruby. Again, that's lootcrate.com slash ruby to save 10% on any new subscription. Enter the promo code BRIDGE10 for 10% savings. Uh, oh man, I totally came unprepared on picks. Um, I, I kind of forgot that was a thing that I needed to think about. Uh, yeah, so I guess it. I guess today my pick is going to be uh, Ableton Live. It's a it's a computer program that I've been using to do a lot of music stuff. Uh, lets you do real time live looping. Uh, been using it lately with a buddy of mine so that our duo sounds like a three-piece or a four-piece or a five-piece sometimes uh it's a lot of fun i've been having a good time with it uh if you're into combining music and nerdiness i i recommend checking it out sweet excellent jonathan i know you uh before we went on you were racking your brain trying to remember what the pick was you figured it out i remembered what it was ruben learner's git course ladies and gentlemen (laughs) oh my god is awesome I've been using Git for, I don't know, five years at least. Get this course worth every penny. And plus, Ruben's totally fun to learn from. But this is, it is so good. 
I love it. So there you go. And then, of wow. course, yeah, it's great. I love it. So, and I paid for it, ladies. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a paid, <laughs> this is not a paid endorsement. I bought it. It was worth every penny. Love it. Uh, the other thing I'm going to always, I always point people to valuepricingbootcamp.com. Uh, if you are sick of renting your life away in one hour chunks, go to valuepricingbootcamp.com and learn about at least one other way. I think I talk about more than one other way, but at least learn about one other way to, uh, to price your services. Stop billing, start pricing. Uh, so that's valuepricingbootcamp.com. I like that tagline. Stop. Well, stop, stop billing, stop start billing, pricing. Start pricing. Yep. That's excellent. Wow. Wow. Thanks for the plug. Um, <laughs> so, so still recovering here. So I've got uh, <laughs> two picks, two different podcasts. Um, one is uh, there's uh, like uh, I'll, I'll show my political bent here uh, to some degree. Um, so there's this group of people at what's called Crooked Media. They have a whole bunch of podcasts, Pod Save America, and so forth. I think they're very funny. But there's one in their group called Pod Save the World, which is not hugely political, and it is fascinating analysis of international affairs and politics. So even if you're not a super left winger. Um, I definitely suggest to take a look at Pod Save the World. I think it's fun and interesting and uh, uh, provides va valuable insight into all the stuff around the world. The second pick, um, so many of you are probably familiar with Gimlet Media and uh, like a podcast company. They do lots of great podcasts. So they have a new podcast that is not meant for, I think, any of our listeners. But it is such a brilliant business idea or such a brilliant take on podcasts that I have to share it with you. So I was listening recently to one of their podcasts called Science Versus, which I really like. And they said, and now a preview of our new podcast. So this new podcast is called Chompers. It is twice daily, two minutes long for kids two to seven years old to listen to while they brush their teeth. Oh. <laughs> and it is timed <laughs> so that the kids will know how long they should brush their teeth. And it is hosted by the Tooth Fairy. Oh! Is also, is, <laughs> it is all these super corny jokes and funny things. And this little bell halfway through it says, okay, time to start brushing the other side. Oh. Uh, rarely have I heard something or seen something that was such a clever use of a medium in a new way. And by the way, by the way, you can get it on Amazon on uh, uh, the the A word that I should not repeat here. Uh, <laughs> but basically, if you say the Amazon A word, start ah. chompers, it will play. And oh. it will keep track of how many you've listened to and it will give you a score for having. I, I have to say, like, podcasts are great. I mean, not just ours, but like, podcasts are great, but they're all aimed at people who are exercising, commuting, whatever. And here they figured out, like, there's an audience, a captive audience that um has this time and they can use it in a super new and clever way and it's really started getting me to think what can you do with podcasts that we haven't done so far to similarly use people's time or, or take advantage of plus lots of corny jokes as i said which i'm always in favor of. <laughs> so it's called chompers definitely worth taking a, taking a listen to uh, even if you don't have tiny little kids oh this is so good the, the, <laughs> I, I love That's this on like 10 levels yeah, that's super interesting. Two minutes twice a day. That's, huh? I, I should add, like when my when my kids were little, I mean, help brushing their teeth. So I taught them the aria 
to the um, song of the Night Queen uh, from the Queen of the Night from uh, um, the uh, Magic Flute. So they would, as they're brushing, go ah ha 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 Anyway, this is this is way better and more in tune than our everyone was with a toothbrush stuck into your mouth. <laughs> yeah, I've got an eight-year-old and a four-year-old, so this is happening tonight. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, that's so good. All right. Guys, this is great. Thanks as usual. Um, to all of our listeners, thanks very much for being with us. And we will be with you next week on the Freelancer Show. Bye. See you later, everybody. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.